If you're wondering why I'm making my way up here so slowly, I just had knee replacement surgery at the end of November, and I'm still not totally well, but well enough to come up and share the Word of God. I was very uh, blessed when Steve asked me. He called me up and asked me to come share, and I always love coming to Living Hope. In fact, after my retirement, if we lived closer to the east side, we'd probably come here and, and fellowship and worship with you. Um, but the Lord has been very gracious and good to me and my wife. My wife would be here today. She loves coming to worship with you. But she's sort of on a mission of mercy uh, uh, to go visit a friend up in Northern Cal. She went with another friend, and they're there for a ministry of prayer, doing much of what I'm going to be sharing uh, this morning. So the Lord's blessing be upon her as they make their way back today. You know, uh, recently, uh, the church that my wife and I have been attending did a series called God versus Satan. And it was a series uh, that they did right around Christmas time. Not exactly the series that you would expect around Christmas time, but uh, it was really a, a blessed time. And one of the things they did is they took a look at the armor of God found in Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, the reason for that is that we need to put on the armor of God to withstand the, uh, the enemy, uh, Satan himself. But if, when you look at the armor of God, most of it is either preparatory or it's defensive in nature, you know, like the shield, the helmet, the breastplate. And so there's only really one weapon, and that is that weapon is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so when they uh, preached on that particular topic, I, it got me to thinking about science fiction weaponry. And in my opinion, uh, there was one weapon that is the best weapon ever created for a science fiction movie. What was it? Any guesses? Yeah, I have it right here, actually. In fact, I thought about it so much, I went on Amazon and actually bought this. It actually changes colors. You hear that noise? This is not a weapon of stealth. You can't sneak up on anybody. It makes too much noise. Anyway, I don't want that color. We'll go with orange. <clears throat> anyway, um, I actually have a lightsaber story. All right. And my, uh, my grandson, his name is Seth, which is one letter away from Sith. For those of you who are Star Wars fans, well, one day my grandson Seth, the Sith, was having a, a lifesaver battle with his daddy, whose name is Danny. He was about six years old at the time. He is now 16. And uh, he and his father were in the living room having a lifesaver battle. And I was in the dining room just watching. And I watched my grandson, he was just pounding my son-in-law. He was swinging as hard as he could, trying to do harm to his father with a lifesaver. You know, it was one of those plastic ones. This is an adult version. <laughs> Pretty expensive, anyway. So he was banging away at his dad, and there were five go. I was kind of surprised how hard he was swinging. So then Danny got a call, and he had to leave the room for something. I think it was a phone call. So I said, I'll take over. So Danny handed me 
the plastic one. It was one of the ones you buy at Disneyland, kind of cheaper version. Gave it to me, and I said, okay, Seth, on guard. Oops. <laughs> on guard. So then we started our lifesaver battle. And this is how he did it with me. I'm wondering, what is going on here? And you know what he said to me? Oh, you're doing good, Grandpa. <laughs> and that's when I realized I am now an old man. <laughs> but you know, my grandson, that just expresses the kindness with which he lives, and I hope he never changes. So I may give this to him after this, my sermons are over. <clears throat> Okay, based on my opinion, I think that is the best sci-fi weapon of all time. So now instead of saying the sword of the spirit, I say it's the life, lightsaber of God, the sword of the Lord. And I think that is God's weapon of choice. And it's the weapon at least that he had given to us to combat Satan, the lifesaver of God, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So if God has a weapon, what do you think Satan's weapon is? Because Satan has a weapon of choice, in my opinion. So I'm going to give you like 10 seconds in your mind. This is a rhetorical question to discern what is Satan's weapon of choice that he uses against you. Now, sometimes it's called the fiery dart of the enemy. What's his weapon? Yeah, I think Satan's weapon of choice, his signature weapon, uh, and by the way, signature weapon is a weapon that's associated with an individual or group. So lifesavers are associated with whom? The Jedi, right? Any of you know about the Lone Ranger? No, you're way too young. It was a six-shooter with a white handle and silver bullets. Very effective against Wolfman. Who uses a hammer? So you guys don't even know this, what I'm talking about, about Wolfman, all right. Only thing that could bring down a Wolfman was a silver bullet, all right. Uh, who used a hammer? Thor. Who used a bow and arrow? Right, Hawkeye, right? Who used a lasso of truth, a golden lasso of truth, and a razor-sharp tiara? Wonder Woman. Well, those were their weapons of choice. Those weapons are identified with those particular characters. So what's Satan's weapon of choice? All right, think about it for a moment, or think with me. He uses his weapon initially in the Garden of Eden. Now think about this. He is going to the Garden of Eden to use his weapon against a male and a female who had never sinned before. If that's the case, don't you think he's going to use his weapon of choice? He's not going to take a secondary or tertiary weapon into the Garden of Eden. I mean, this became the uh, Omaha Beach of the Garden of Eden where Satan's going to attack. Do you know what the Omaha Beach reference is all about? That's where the Allies invaded uh, uh, France, actually. All right. So he's not going to use a secondary weapon. So what does he use? All right, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. If you're Luke Skywalker, you're going to go up against Darth Vader. Aren't you going to take your weapon of choice, your best weapon? You're not going to take a blaster. You're going to take a, uh, a lightsaber. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Follow along with me. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, God has said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. 
the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in that day or in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. We'll stop there, even though the rest of it's probably on the screen. All right, so where's the lie? Well, the truth is also there. In verse 3, it reveals the word of God. It says, but from the true fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. That's the word of the Lord. This is what God said is true. So what does Satan say? Verses 4 and 5. Serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in, that, in the day you eat from your, it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So what weapon did Satan use against Adam and Eve? A lie. Something that contradicted the truth of God. God says, do not eat or touch it, for you will surely die. Satan says, he's not going to die. And so the woman ate of it. And eventually, Adam and Eve died. Physically, and then prior to that, spiritually. So Satan's weapon of choice is a lie. He is a liar. Jesus said in John 8, 44, this, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus identifies Satan as what? A liar. Not only a liar, but the father of lies, the progenitor of all lies. Hence, Satan's weapon of choice is a lie. Okay, so what's a lie? All right, let me give you two definitions. First from Webster. A lie is an untrue statement with intent to deceive. That's a lie. The Baker Bible Dictionary says this, the practice of deceit, falsehood, and treachery, either by word or action. It is the exact opposite of truth. So this is what Satan does. God speaks the truth. It's written throughout the scriptures. God speaks truth. Satan takes the truth and perverts it. He changes it, and that becomes a lie. It is the opposite of God's truth. Now, I believe there are two fundamental categories of lies. Common lies and custom lies. Common and custom. Now, common lies are the lies you find in the world, very common in the world. They're held by the masses. Let me give you an example. In today's world, they will tell you, you know, it's really important that you be happy. Your happiness is profoundly important. So if you're not happy in your marriage, does it make much sense to be happy, unhappy for the rest of your life? Why don't you be happy and do something about your marriage, like get out of it? That's what the world believes. That's why the divorce rate is so high. Because people are seeking their happiness, perhaps. That's the fabrication of Satan. The most important thing in the world, according to the gospel, according to the Bible, is not our own happiness, 
It's our holiness. Remember this. God is much more concerned with your holiness than he is with your happiness. But if you pursue holiness, then you will have the joy of Jesus, which is really true happiness. And so rather than trying to figure out ways of getting out of your marriage in order to be happy, maybe the wiser thing to do would be to pursue holiness, that you may begin to understand what the joy of Jesus is, even in a marriage that is difficult, which then gives you a chance to pursue and move forward with your marriage. Happiness is not the most important thing in this life, according to God. Your holiness is walking in righteousness, which will bring you the joy of Jesus. So those are common lies. That's an example of a common lie. Here's a, a customized lies are ones that are held by individuals based upon their own personal history, personal journey through life. Normally, Satan can take past experiences to create lies that we accept as truth about our others and about ourselves. Here's a lie that, that uh, sometimes people hope based upon their past experience. They know somebody who isn't favorable in their eyes. And so in their mind, and they've known them for a long time, so they'll say, you know, people can't change. You ever heard that? Do you believe that? People can't change. They've been that way my whole life. Speaking perhaps of father. People can't change. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says that if any man is in Christ, what happens? You're a brand new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. You can change. When I was a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for five years before becoming a senior pastor for 42 years. When I was a youth pastor, we had this young girl, high schooler, in our youth group. And every once in a while, my wife and I would give her a ride home. And so a couple of times I said, well, can we come in and meet your parents? And she said, no, no, just drop me off here and you better leave. This happened numerous times. Finally, I asked her, why is it that you always want us to leave and you never want us to meet your parents? So reluctantly, she said, well, my father is a drunk. And at this time of night, he's already been drinking a lot and he's very unpleasant. In fact, he's mean. And so I don't want to expose you to that. So one day I got to meet the dad. He came, actually came to something sober or relatively sober. And long story short, he eventually came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. Now, God is so good. He accepted Jesus, and he changed immediately, immediately, so much so that he came to me one day and said, you know, Corey, I think God's calling me into the ministry. I'm supposed to be a pastor. And he planted a church and became the senior pastor of the church from that point until he passed away, going home to be with the Lord. He changed. Because once you receive Jesus, I mean, old things can pass away and brand new things can fill into its place. People can change. I have these two friends, one still living, one is with Jesus. They both had older brothers who died while they were still young. Like, we're talking late teens, early 20s. Their moms favored the older brothers. Both of their moms told each of them this while they were arguing. The wrong son died. Isn't that a terrible thing to hear? And their moms would constantly tell them that they would never amount to a whole lot. 
sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, Proverbs 18, 21 says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Be careful what you say. So both of my friends believed the customized lies that were told by their, each of their moms. That the wrong brother died and that they would never amount to a whole lot in life. We'll get back to them in a moment. So now we've established that Satan's primary weapon of choice is a lie. Well, what's his strategy with a lie? What's he going to use? How is he going to use his lies? In war, there is always a strategy, God versus Satan. There is a strategy involved. In the 5th century B.C., Sun, uh, Sun Tzu wrote a book entitled The Art of War, classic book on military strategy that's even used today. In fact, it's been used for the centuries. People have referred to that book to understand the strategy of war. And if there is a war between God and Satan, which there is, then it's important to understand strategy. Here's the third chapter on strategy. This is from the third chapter on strategy. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. The axiom from there is know yourself and know your enemy in terms of strategy. And if you don't know either, you will succumb in every battle. And part of today's message is all about maybe getting to know yourself a little better and getting to know your enemy, the strategy of Satan. So what's his strategy? Romans 1.25 says this. I'm only going to quote the first part of the verse. And the entire portion of, this, of these verses have to do with this. Romans 125a says, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So what's Satan's strategy? He wants to get you and he wants to get me to exchange God's truth with his lie. That's his strategy. Get the world to exchange the truth of God for his lie. And you can see it permeating our world today in the area of marriage, in the, in the area of gender identity, the world believes something that is not of God. They have exchanged the truth of God for the lie of Satan. And the lie becomes an ungodly belief. And beloved, we all have ungodly beliefs in our lives. Believe it or not, each one of us has probably exchanged the truth of God for a lie of Satan, and it has become an ungodly belief. And this is what causes marriages to break up. This is what causes turmoil in families. This is what causes difficulty at work, difficulty with finances, because we have adopted a lie of Satan and, ex and exchanged it with the truth of God, for the truth of God. And it is nothing but grief, because what's Satan's purpose? But to destroy. Back to the story of my two friends who very early in life embraced the lie told by their mom. Why did they believe it? It was their mom. And what mom lies to their children? And actually, I don't think she believed it was a lie. I think she actually believed it was true. Both, both of them did. And once my friends accepted the lie, it became an ungodly belief in their life. 
and they lived it out. They subconsciously lived that lie as it became a stronghold in their life. The net result was a failure in the most, one of the most important relationships they had in their adult life, their marriage. Their marriages both end in divorce. And part of it's because it's amazing. They just sort of subconsciously sabotaged their own marriages because they believed in a lie rather than the truth of God. That they were, they were fearfully and wonderfully made as opposed to the wrong son died. What lie do you believe in your life? Well, how do you deal with lies? John 8, 32 says this, and you shall know the truth, and what's the truth gonna do? And the truth will set you free. That's how you deal with lies, to the knowledge of truth. The only thing which will set us free from a lie is the truth. That makes sense? You gotta know the truth. Once we exchange the truth for a lie, we really believe the lie to be the truth. And that's so insidious. And we live according to the lie rather than the truth. Now, a great example of this is Jesus in Matthew 4 being tempted by Satan. The verses will be up on the screen, but I'm just going to describe it. Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. This is prior to his, on the onset of his ministry. Satan three times tempts him. Sometimes he tempts him with actually the word of God. And he tries to get Jesus to shift from what God wants him to do, God his Father wants him to do, to what Satan wants him to do. How did Jesus respond to Satan in each instance? With the word of God. Right. So Satan told a lie to Jesus. Jesus responded with the truth of God. And he continued his ministry all the way to the cross so that you and I can have salvation. He did not get sidetracked by Satan by exchanging the truth of God with a lie of Satan. And we should be so thankful for that. Now, how does that apply to us in our, in our regular lives? Right. Let me give you a couple of examples. I have a friend, and he and his wife got a divorce, in part because they wanted to be more happy. And so he came to me one day and said, you know, my wife and I want to try to get back together, so I'm going to court her once again. What shall I do? Now, I could have told him what restaurants to take her to, but I didn't think that would do the trick. So the advice I gave him was, you know, you cannot be the same person you were when you got the divorce. You have to be different. Otherwise, either it's not going to work or you're going to end up in the same place you did before. So you need to walk in holiness and not just happiness. And so we decided we would pray together. And I said, let me lead you in a prayer time. And what we're going to do is we're going to try to discover any ungodly beliefs you have in your life, just through prayer. And then we'll verify it through the Word of God. So we prayed together. I said, yeah, what's the Lord telling you? And you know what he said? He said, you know, I remember something from my childhood. He said, my sister and I, we had this cage on our back porch with our pet rabbits. And one day, the rabbits were gone. So he asked his dad, well, what happened to the rabbits? Well, you know, they're making such a mess here. I gave them to your auntie. So he had to deal with that. And he wouldn't dare cry. So one day, sometime later, auntie comes over with a pot of cooked food. Rabbit stew. And the dad put it onto the table and said, okay, kids, this is our dinner. 
let's eat your rabbits. Now the sister ran out of the room crying. He sat there wondering what to do, and his father said, look, son, you got to be tough in this world. You can't let things like this bother you. You need to eat your rabbit stew and not let sentimentality get in the way. And so he ate his rabbit stew. He ate his pet rabbits. That was probably the benchmark event in his life in terms of how he viewed how he should live life as indifferent and strong and not letting anything ever bother him, being emotionally detached. There were other things, apparently, before and after, but that was the pivotal event, eating his rabbits. So then we looked at scripture. I said, you've got to study on your own about, you know, Jesus, whenever he did a miracle, a lot of times when he did a miracle, what preceded the miracle? He had compassion on them. Colossians 1.23 talks about, about um, compassion and love and kindness. The fruit of the Spirit has to do with kindness. The Bible is replete, especially in the New Testament, about compassion and kindness, how that is a trait of a follower of Christ. He read those before, but it never dawned on him that that wasn't him. And you know why his wife divorced him the first time, according to him? Because he was so indifferent. And it never dawned on him that what had happened is he had adopted a lie and it became a truth in his life and an ungodly belief. And so he began a walk of asking the Lord, teach me what it means to be compassionate. And then later on, long story short, they got remarried. I did the ceremony. It was just like four of us there, five of us there, them and two witnesses. And you know what she told me? She said, you know, he's changed. He's compassionate now because he, he had exchanged a lie of Satan for the truth of God and he switched back. He jettisoned the lie of Satan and embraced the truth of God about being compassionate and not indifferent. My wife and I had a hard time during a 15-year period in our marriage while she was in menopause and didn't take estrogen. All right. I'd give some advice now, but I don't have enough time. <laughs> it took two sermons. It, I mean, I was in counseling for two years. We went to family counseling. And the reason why I engaged her, and I forgot to say this at first service, she had adopted a lie, but so did I. My lie was, if you have a good marriage, you never argue. And that came from somewhere. So I never wanted to confront my wife because keeping the peace was more important. But I noticed that my, with my teenage daughters, if, we, if I didn't deal with this with my wife, uh, we would lose our daughters. So I decided I am now going to engage in conflict with my wife. Courageous man that I was. <laughs> my oldest daughter was 18 at the time. This was her issue. From the time my daughters were born until the 18th birthday and beyond of my oldest, our oldest daughter, my wife never believed she was ever wrong. Ever. Right? And when you get a wife who believes she is never wrong, married to somebody who is never wrong, <laughs> it makes for a difficult life. Right? So... I mean, we are also sinners, right? We are all sinners. So we, we prayed. She went and got prayer over this. 
And then God gave her a memory. By the way, you're never healed from your memory. What you need healing from is what the memory contains. And sometimes the memory contains a lie. And from that, we need healing. She had this, she, she recalled being a little girl in the yard. Mother was hanging in laundry. The mother accused her of something, and it wasn't true. Then, she, so she started to cry. She said, a tear came from the corner of her eye, so she stuck out her tongue to lick it. And her mom accused her of sticking her tongue out at her and punished her. At that moment, she believed. This was, again, the benchmark event. Mom is never right. And I am never wrong. And I think she did that to survive. She had an interesting relationship with her mother. And from that, it developed and grew, and she was really good at it. But she was never wrong. And so then we started studying. She started studying scripture about how all have sinned and fall short of glory of God, how you got to confess things. Confessing things means there are times when you're wrong, when you sin. So she came to the realization, I can be wrong, and it's okay. And when my daughters were in their 20s, one time she made an error, she was wrong, and she went to the, our daughter and said, I was wrong, I'm so sorry, would you please forgive me? My daughter almost fell on the floor. It was the first time ever she had heard her mother say she was wrong and apologize and ask for forgiveness. This is after 20-something years of life. See, my wife had exchanged a lie, I'm never wrong, but the truth of God, we're all sinners. We, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We can be wrong, but that's why we're supposed to confess and God is, 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 is justice, just and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Those are two stories, true stories. Three ways of seeking healing. I'm gonna go over this very briefly, quickly. One, study the word of God. Doesn't that make sense? If you're gonna know the truth and the truth is gonna set you free, you better know the truth. It's great what's being promoted today. That 30, 30 days of study, get involved and go buy the book. Only $10, cheaper than Amazon, I think. Cheaper than Amazon. I just got a free copy. <laughs> Very much cheaper than Amazon. Because <laughs> if you're going to know the truth and truth's going to set you free, man, it's good to know the truth. You know, bank tellers once upon a time, in fact, even today, you know how they train them to tell counterfeit money? They don't show them counterfeit. They showed them the real stuff over and over and over again. They handled it every day. And today, they can just tell counterfeit money by touch because they know true money. We can know the, the, the truth just by dwelling in the truth and then having some help identifying the lies. The ministry of prayer. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. Pray, Lord, is there anything I believe that's not true? And how is it permeating my life and perpetrating fraud in my life. The ministry of Christian counseling. Proverbs 24, 6 says, for by wise counsel you will wage war and in abundance of counselors there is victory. You have pastors here, you have spiritual leaders here, and you have Christian counselors you can, you can retain to help you with this journey. Are there any lies you have adopted and now have made an ungodly belief. And you live your life according to the ungodly belief, which is guaranteed to call you strife and trouble in your, in your life and in your relationships. So when it makes sense, Lord, can you please help me identify the things I believe that really aren't true? Even though I'm living them as though they were true, 
You know, I, uh, I've been, I was a senior pastor for 42 years. For about the first 20 years, I didn't like speaking at places other than home church unless I knew the person that was asking. So I can't tell you how many speaking engagements I turned down simply because whenever somebody asked, I got this funny feeling inside of me. And so I say no. Uh, many times I didn't even pray about it. I got asked, one time I got asked to speak in Puerto Rico at a conference. I didn't even pray about it. I just said no. I, I just didn't want to go. I, Hawaii. I got asked several times to go to Hawaii, to paradise. And I said no. Because I got this funny feeling inside. Now, if somebody I knew asked me, I was okay with it. New York, I mean, New Orleans one time. And uh, I said no on all those occasions. And I began to wonder, I mean, why am I saying no? And what's that funny feeling I get whenever somebody asks me to speak? So I went into prayer about it. I said, okay, I want to know the truth. Is there a truth? Is there an ungodly belief I have, O oh Lord? So I prayed about it. You know what the Lord gave me? He gave me some memories. When I was in the fifth grade, I couldn't go to recess every recess, which I loved because they had me play chess with my principal. He just learned how to play chess. It wasn't very good. And, um, but it set me apart. Then in that same year and into the sixth grade, I did this experiment with fruit flies. It was Mendel's experiment with fruit flies, recessive and dominant genes. I'd use a microscope and I was in the cloakroom most of the day running this experiment, which I then presented to the Board of Education. I really didn't know what I was doing. I was being directed, right? But I felt set apart again from the class. Then when I got to seventh grade, junior high in the Pasadena school system through ninth grade, I got set apart again with a group of students. It was three classes that took special math and we had special English and special this and that. And in the seventh grade, there were three classes. In the ninth, eighth grade, it was two classes. And in the ninth grade, it was three classes. When I got to high school, there were 16 people left in the program. And I was number 16. You know what it's like to be the dumbest one in your class? Even though you're supposedly in the top 16 in terms of math? Later on, I found out that that was the precursor to the AP program that exists today. Right? So then, as an adult, looking back, I go, you know, all those things that happened, there were other things. I felt used. That when somebody asked me to do something, they are using me to get their own ends. The science project is because the teacher wanted funding from the Board of Education for science in the school. I guess the principal just wanted to get better at chess. <laughs> First time I went, I beat him in four moves, all right? He didn't know the gambit, so that's all right. Um, so I thought, you know, that's not really true, especially in the kingdom, the economy of the kingdom. When people ask me to speak, it's because they want to expand the kingdom, that God has given me gifts and I should use them places. And so I had to exchange a lie for the truth. Then after that, I would pray about it, and I was more prone to say yes than no. After my retirement, I said, Lord, whatever comes down the pike, if you want me to speak, I will speak. Even if I don't know the people who are asking me. Now, Steve, I know, so anything he asks, I'll do. <laughs> Almost anything he asks, I will do. If he asked me to come up here and dance, I probably wouldn't do that. What's the lie in your life? Or what are the lies in your life? Is there something that may seem rather innocuous to you that you have embraced as being true that really isn't true? 
And have you been able to check it off against the word of God? How many things in your life do you believe to be true that is really interfering with the relationships you have in your life right now? Have you exchanged a truth of God for a lie of Satan unwittingly? And now you embrace it as a truth. And that is so hard to dispel. Study the word of God. Every time you study a truth of God, say, is there a lie that I have replaced this with in my life practically? Don't just study it theologically and mentally. Seek out prayer. Ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything in my life that's not true, that I believe to be true? And thirdly, seek out good counsel and start moving in the direction of living in the truth, dwelling in the truth, which is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. The light saver of God. I'm going to close by praying for each one of you, as a, as a corporately speaking. And I'm going to ask the Lord to reveal to you in the days and weeks to come anything you believe that isn't true and that God will replace it with his truth. Game? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your presence in our midst today, for the presence of your Holy Spirit, and for how wonderful you are to us, Lord, how you've given us your word to direct us in life. Sometimes, Father, we venture away from it unwittingly. Things that have been said to us, things that have happened to us, and we have come away with it with something that just isn't true, and it has become an ungodly belief in our lives. Father, today, in the name of Jesus, I pray for everyone who is here, everyone who is home, uh, worshiping with us over the live stream, that, Lord, upon a, a, a authentic pursuit of knowing the truth, that you will reveal to them any lie, any ungodly belief that they have embraced, and that, Father, you will replace it with your truth, that they may walk in a worthy, manner that is worthy of Jesus. Lord, I pray for each person here that that will occur, that any lie they have embraced will be replaced with the truth, especially customized lies. But Lord, the world is full of common lies, and little by little, the church is embracing those too. So Lord, protect us from them and help us to lead a life in the truth of your word, the lightsaber of God. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.